Welcome to Let It Grow Investing, the financial investing and small business podcast that is not run by a professional investor. I am Jeff, and thank you for stopping by. We're going to cover all the news you need to know to make sense of the market, helping you get invested, stay the course, and on your way to financial freedom. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast here. And boy, do we have a lot to cover today. We've got uh, some major news headlines. I've been trying to record this one and get all the pieces of the puzzle in order. Ultimately, they just keep changing. There is just more to uncover in all the news of this past week. So I am uh, going to be recording this now for the third time, I believe it is. As uh, when I record it, then there's some other news bits that come out that I ultimately really felt that you guys need to know and ultimately uh, try to put all the pieces together so we can make some educated decisions so we don't get caught up in this turmoil that is going on out there. So thank you guys, as always, for joining me. And uh, let's get right into it. So on Friday, the quiet news of the day was the U.S. unemployment rate, right? We had a lot of other turmoil that uh, this really kind of got looked over. Now, that unemployment rate in February did jump up to 3.6% from 3.4% in January. So those numbers were actually going higher, which ultimately is what uh, you know Jay Powell wanted to see. So that is going to be a better sign for the interest rates going forward. And uh, I'm going to take a look over here at the CME FedWatch tool. I know what it was the, the past couple of days, but I want to check it now because this thing has been... Uh, kind of moving and shaking the last couple of days. So I think we looked last, uh, was it last Sunday that I looked at this one? And ultimately that did spike up to about uh, that 50 basis point run was about 77%, I want to say. Well, now we are looking at a 68% chance of going a full 50 basis points on the next meeting, which is in 10 days. So only 31% saying that we will get a 25 basis point hike, which you know shook up the market a bit. We had a lot of this talk about being more hawkish and really trying to drive these, uh, these numbers home. Ultimately, we still got CPI, PPI this week that is going to kind of give that final gauge of what's going on out there in the economy and how much we really think that the, the interest rates or the Fed rate needs to go up right now. So uh, this did change throughout the week, though. When I looked on Wednesday, this was at like 50, uh, I want to say it was about 45% we were getting a 25 basis point hike and a 55% that we we're going to a 55 basis point hike. So now it has reverted the other way and we're going a little bit more aggressive right now. So that is definitely newsworthy as uh, that definitely affects you know the startup banks. You know, we're looking at that Silicon Valley Bank. That's the big news headline of the week. We're looking at those tech funds, and it really shows why the uh, NASDAQ did a lot of selling off. These NASDAQ names, the tech names, need to borrow more money. They generally have more of the uh, investment-heavy startup companies in those funds. So that is why the NASDAQ is really trading lower uh, in conjunction with the news out of SVB, which is Silicon Valley Bank. Now, we had Silvergate Bank, not related. They are that local, smaller crypto bank, basically an on-ramp, off-ramp for crypto. You put your dollars in, you get the crypto out. That is really what they were doing. And ultimately, there was a lot of problems there, and they didn't have enough funds to go ahead and pay people when they wanted that money coming out. So they ran out of liquidity, and ultimately, they got shut down, right? So now, only a few days later, 
we had Silicon Valley Bank um, really be the talk of Friday, Thursday and Friday. I saw a lot of people on Thursday saying, hey, yeah, this one's dropping, but uh, the FDIC is going to come save the day. Uh, There's a lot of people thinking that that was the case, that it was a great time to buy this one. We even had Jim Cramer back in February pumping the name of SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, or the ticker SIVB. No longer traded, out of business, just overnight. So what happened, right? This this is um, kind, of, kind of a mystery to people. This hasn't happened since 2008. This was the 15th largest bank in the U.S. So when it went, uh, a lot of different people are, are getting really panicky. So first off, if you deposit money into a bank, right, they give you, you know, 0.0 nothing on your money. They go and farm your money on, uh, you know, bonds normally. They will, you know, ladder bonds. They'll buy six month, 12 month, 24 month, and so on and so forth at different intervals. So when you need to pull your money out, they've always got cash coming back in. They can fund your uh, withdrawals with the money that they're making on your deposits. So they're making money. They still have enough liquidity to where when they need the money, they can pull it out and ultimately make a bit on top of your deposits. That's how they make money or one way they make money, I should say. So uh, SVB is a little bit different. They are in more long term bonds. So when you think of, you know, Bank of America, normally shorter, uh, they probably have some more long dated bonds, mortgages, back securities, things like that, that they're making more money on. But uh, in the way of SVB, they have more long-term bonds. So startup companies go to them for money, and uh, you know they're making a a little bit less or than what the current Treasury yield is, which is really where they got caught. They were uh, had a twenty-one billion dollar bond portfolio yielding an average of one point seven nine percent, and the current ten-year Treasury yield is about three point nine percent. So they weren't making as much money as what the current uh, treasury yield is. Now, when you look back a year ago, this was enough to uh, really go ahead and make enough on the money that was coming in versus the money coming out. Now, when the Federal Reserve start rating these, raising these interest rates to you know go ahead and tame inflation, we really saw these uh, these different yields uh, on these long term bond portfolios really deteriorate. They weren't making enough versus. Uh, the the broader market and there was other ways to make more money, but they had their money wrapped up in these long term bonds, and ultimately when people went it, went in to take more money out, and you had uh, Peter Thiel come in and say that uh, you know go ahead and get your money out of SVB, it is not safe. Go ahead and withdraw. We had a bank run. Everyone went in wanting to get their money out, uh, and eventually they just didn't have any more cash to pull out. They had to start selling off this bond portfolio which means they were illiquid. They did not have enough funds to you know, pay all the depositors that wanted their money out at that given point in time. So basically, they ran out of cash and the FDIC came in to uh, go into a receivership. Basically, if you had under $250,000 in a personal account at SVB, uh, you, know, you have to put in a claim with the FDIC to get your money back. If you were a stockholder, you just got wiped out. Uh, completely wiped out. So when I'm saying that, uh, you know, Jim Cramer was talking, well, yeah, buy SVB, great buy, great buy, great bank. You know, the guy's a genius. You know, whatever Jim Cramer says, that's typically his story. If he has an interview, this guy's the greatest. You know, I'm going to ask you some tough questions, but at the end of the day, it always sounds like a buy when Cramer interviews anyone. 
yes, if he's, you know, kind of just that, that lightning round kind of thing that we're doing, yes, it might not be a buy. But uh, normally, if he has an interview, someone on the show, it sounds like it is the greatest stock you've ever heard of. And this is one of the reasons I push do your due diligence, understand the name that you're buying, and diversify, right? If you had 20, 25%, like we were talking last week with some different funds, some different people are so heavy in one name, you got completely wiped out on a name like SIVB or uh, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB for short. So this is a lot of the reason why I say diversify. This is a lot of the reason why I say dollar cost average and really balance out your portfolio that if one part goes to zero, you're protected on the other uh, hopefully 95% of your portfolio. So a, a lot of different things here. Um, first off, uh, I did want to talk about the other companies that were involved in this, uh, that, that got pulled down with SVB, right? We had Roku, Roblox, Circle, more, uh, many more that, that got pulled into this one. So Roku, uh, they had about uh, 26% of their cash at Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, so we are, you know, really worried about what's going on with Roku. I think that was uh, $487 million at SVB. Uh, so we really got to think, is Roku going to be in a spot where you really want to think about this one right now? So if you're in SVB and Roku, your portfolio got crushed on Friday for this reason. Uh, crypto. Oh, man, I got wrapped up in this one. Okay, so USDC it is supposed to be a stable coin, Right. Uh, now, a lot of the funds that circle that manages USDC is in Silicon Valley Bank, $3.3 billion backed on USDC. I was doing a little bit of a research the other day. USDC was supposed to be the number one safest stable coin as it was backed one-to-one -one in cash uh, at these different banks. So now, uh, the fact that they had so much money wrapped up into uh, USDC back in SVB, and the remainder of their $40 billion in cash was held elsewhere. We really had a big uh, deep pegging of the stable coin to the US dollar. So that means uh, USDC should always trade at a dollar. Whatever a dollar is, that is what USDC is worth. So what I'm telling you, I'm getting out of Bitcoin when I sold at $25,000, $26,000. I'm not pulling it out to cash. I'm trading it uh, BTC for USDC. So I am holding that stable coin in my crypto wallet. And then when it, you know, Bitcoin, like I said last time, if it drops back down under that $20,000 range, I was ready to buy. Uh, so I was going to trade out of my USDC to get back to Bitcoin. Now, crypto.com and many other exchanges stopped, or, or pretty much all exchanges, I believe, stopped allowing you to convert your USDC to withdraw to cash or to buy into Bitcoin, right? So this uh, depegging of the USDC really brought it down to about 91 cents I saw on Saturday morning, which really meant that uh, you're losing money on what is supposed to be a stable coin. You lost more on USDC than you did on Bitcoin that day because of the fact that so much funds from USDC that Circle has invested there were held at SVB. So um, and now I'm going to pull it up right now. I, I've been trying to not only not really sell my USDC. All I wanted to do is buy Bitcoin on the dip. I hadn't even looked into the fact that USDC had depegged from a dollar. All I was looking to do was purchase Bitcoin. And uh, so now I'm on uh, the crypto.com app. I'm going to try to sell it. 
And when I click on USDC, uh, I just get a little, uh, you know, spinning wheel that nothing is happening. I can't sell. I can't, uh, I don't, I'm, I, maybe I can buy. I'm not sure about that one. I haven't even looked to, to buy. I don't know why I would right now. It's in, uh, you know, kind of no man's land. But uh, if I go to sell, uh, let's say I want to sell Bitcoin. Let's see if that'll work. Uh, yeah, I can sell Bitcoin. I can load up my uh, my crypto.com card. I can sell it to crypto. I can put it to cash. I can do anything I want with Bitcoin right now. But USDC and USDC transactions are completely halted. So I've pretty much got dead money sitting there doing absolutely nothing until this kind of comes back online. However, the good news is, is that... Uh, Circle went ahead and said that they are going to back every dollar that's been lost and ultimately get the stablecoin back online. So when I'm looking at uh, the value of USDC, uh, it went from, let's take a look at this. I want to I want to get this one right. We went down to about 91 cents. We then traded up to about, uh, about 97, 99 cents, came back down. And ultimately right now we're sitting at 96 cents. So if I do sell right now, I get about four cents off on every dollar that I had in there, which is not uh, not a great situation when you had it pegged at a dollar and you really thought it was going to be there. However, to go ahead and get out of it, I would I would take that loss right now to go ahead and bit, get into more Bitcoin and get out of USDC. And it's really got me thinking, you know, do I really want to hold my crypto coins on any exchange? I've said before that uh, it is a risky play. You can certainly hold them onto a, a cold storage wallet like a flash drive and, and lock it up, put it in a safe and remember all your keys. That is certainly the safest way. Now, if you want to transact in it and you want to, uh, you know, trade it, it's really hard to do that. Uh, maybe not so hard, just more time uh, uh, intensive as to going and getting your, your crypto card out load it into your computer, upload it to an exchange, buy, sell, trade, and then ultimately put it back onto your, your cold storage wallet. So I don't normally think that, I mean, for me, it's not really the way that I want to do it. Plus, I can't stake my coins and get any interest on the coins that I hold. So I haven't done that, but I am thinking more about that. Kind of, you know, lock it up, uh, set it somewhere and forget it for the next five, 10 years and and check back in. That might be another way to really make this thing work for you. But um, yeah, we've also got Roblox. Uh, they held about 5% of their 3 billion in cash, which is about 150 million at SVB. And uh, it's they're saying that the SVB collapse will have no impact on its day-to-day -day operations, which may be true, might be you know, might just be the the ramblings of what their, uh, you know, CFO, whoever is saying that is ultimately trying to spin the story. But at the end of the day, right, what does this really mean? It really means that uh, startups are going to have a hard time getting money. Money for startups was already getting very expensive. But now if there's no bank that really deals with startups explicitly, or it's just kind of a, a black eye on the whole industry and the banking, it's really going to be hard for these these startups to get funding at a reasonable rate from these banks. And there's going to be a lot of risk associated with it from investors, right? We don't really want to take the big risk right now when when interest and uh, you know these rates are so high. So we really got to think about weighing our options as to who's got what where. And ultimately, is this going to be a safe bet long term, right? You know, buying into a growth company is risky enough. Now, if the banks that back them are 
you know, got the, their money tied up in these long-term bonds and there's going to be a bank run, we've really got to think about, is there going to be enough liquidity at these banks in order to fund these companies if they need to pull cash out? And uh, that is really the the scary part. We really don't know. And I, I've seen things that say, you know, this is going to put startups back 10 to 15 years. And I do believe that it is going to hold them back in a, in a lot of ways. So a lot of that innovation and, uh, you know, kind of forward thinking ideas, we could really see a damper on that from the fact that they can't get money to do the the business that they really had set out to do. So, I mean, I, I really want to still remain, uh, you know, upbeat about this, but I really want to see you guys have your funds in the right place at the right time and know the risks that you are taking. As I've said before, you know, there's a lot of different stocks that you can have uh, some speculation money in, but I don't want to see anyone get burned uh, you know, from simply having way too much into the wrong industries. And and that could simply be, um, you know, some of these high risk innovation type plays. Uh, you know, I'm looking at you, ARK Invest. That is definitely one that uh, had to get beat down. I'm going to take a look right now and see where ARK K closed on the day, because I, I know it was one of those type of funds where all, anything that was tied to innovation really got hammered um, yeah, ARC went down about 3.4% on Friday. And, uh, but yeah, all these NASDAQ names were really the, uh, taking the brunt of it as, uh, you know, no one really wanted to be in those. The Dow had a little bit better of a performance on Friday, but, uh, still closed in the red. So, um, you really want to think about having a diversified portfolio and not just, you know, this tech name, that tech name, but, you know, have some utilities, have some real estate, have some energy, and really spread your dollars out so you don't get uh, obliterated when something like this happens. This really is a black swan event. We didn't see it coming. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense when you look at it. We even had uh, the CAO from Lehman Brothers, right? We go back to 2008 because history uh, often, uh, if it doesn't repeat itself, it often rhymes, right? Uh, and now the CAO, Chief Administrative Officer, I'm going to try to pull this story up too. Um, I forget his name. Where where are we? Let's get back to this uh, this news story. It was uh, Joseph Gentile uh, was the CAO at SVB, right? But prior to joining the firm in 2007, his uh, previous role was the CFO for Lehman Brothers. So uh, you know maybe he's in the wrong place at the wrong t uh, wrong place at the wrong time twice. But, uh, you know, maybe it's more of a problem of how he's running things or being a little bit too risky to where we have these bank runs happening under his watch at several different firms. Uh, I'm not going to go ahead and say it's all his fault, but uh, there's definitely got to be some reasoning that uh, he's he's been at two failing banks over the course of the last, uh, what, 15, 20 years. And uh, that that's definitely scary. So we really got to look a little bit further when we see uh, some scary things. We got to take a look at uh, our portfolios, make sure that we're not too heavy in any one sector, any one industry, uh, or, you know, growth versus value. I like that barbell approach to where we have a little bit on both sides, you know, kind of balance out the scales depending on your age, right? If, if you're a little bit younger, you can invest a little bit heavier into some more growth names, more tech names. But as you get closer to that uh, retirement age, you really want to think about safety. And safety might not be uh, you know, simply just having a bank stock, but not having too much in any one bank stock. You know, the XLF is going to be uh, the sector spider that covers financials. And when I'm looking at the XLF, 
Um, let's take a look at the five day here because it, it got pretty well beat up too. Uh, when when we're looking at this one, the the five day we started the week at uh, around thirty six dollars and we closed around uh, thirty two ninety. So we're you know roughly ten percent down in about uh, in about five days. And the the financials normally don't perform like this. They are normally uh, a lot more stable, a lot more predictable than uh, you know a fund that would have more tech in it. But uh, if you are simply all in financials. You can still get obliterated when something like a Lehman Brothers or a Silicon Valley Bank happens. So really take a look and say, you know, if there's one oil problem, is the other oil stocks going to be affected? Uh, you know, sometimes they will be. So I don't want to see you too heavy in any one industry, um, really just to protect yourself. And uh, I mean, certainly take a look at what you got. Uh, it's definitely a good time to, to check your portfolio. Make sure you're not too overexposed in, in any one name or any one sector and really try to plan for the future. But uh, that being said, we, we did uh, we did some other things this week, right? I don't want to kind of take away from the other stuff that was going on. And one thing that I did have going on this week was that Marathon Petroleum MPC call, covered call, that I wrote about two weeks ago. And uh, this one, man, it was a wild ride. It was absolutely a wild ride. I did not think I was going to get this kind of volatility out of an oil stock. and really, I mean, even out of the bank stocks. So similarly related, this one did close up a little bit on Friday, but ultimately I had a covered call that would have sold a hundred shares at $131 strike price. And when I am looking at the five day on MPC, it bounced above and below 131. I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times maybe. And it was just a complete wild ride that I did not expect to have happen on Marathon Pete. So uh, ultimately, on let's just look at the one day on on Friday. What did we have happen? Uh, we did jump up to about one thirty two. So, and and this is just four times on Friday it jumped above one thirty one. So I was about ready to sell these shares, but it uh, it actually closed at one twenty eight fifty five. So I got to hold on to my shares. I collected this premium. And now I'm thinking, you know, I would like to rinse and repeat. I want to collect more premiums on these shares and basically do a little bit more long dated, maybe a month out. Uh, this is kind of my, my thought process I'm going through right now and collect more premiums. So I want to take a look at the options pages for you over on E-Trade and kind of tell you what I'm seeing over here. You know, so if I go ahead and fast forward to April 6th of 23, and I would like to sell, say, a a strike price of maybe not 131 this time. Maybe we go a little bit higher, right? Maybe I go to say one. If I go to 138, we're looking at a, a bid price of a dollar 65 and ask price of a dollar 92. So if I set a limit order of say a dollar 80 per share, I would get 180 dollars in premium on potentially selling these marathon shares. Uh, at April 6th at $138. So if they go above $138, my shares will be gone. But I have a predetermined exit price. That's basically all that this means. So if not, and they go or they, they close under $138 on April 6th, I would go ahead and keep my shares like I did this last time and pocket that premium. You get that premium day one. So if I write this call on Monday, uh, ultimately, I will get that premium. 
Uh, and what I'm trying to do with that premium right now and uh, the other premiums that I'm getting this year is really uh, take those from my brokerage account. That's where I got more of my money and go ahead and fund my IRA for 2023. I am trying to fund my IRA off of the premiums that I am getting from selling covered calls in my brokerage account. Uh, so that is definitely a strategy that I'm looking to use. I am very new to options, but I do like the idea of getting my premium on shares uh, that I would ultimately make money on if I go to sell them or just having a, a predetermined exit price, even if uh, they might not ultimately be right in the money or making me money, even if, uh, you know, say DraftKings, I'm way under on DraftKings, but if I can pocket another $30, $40 every couple weeks on selling covered calls on DraftKings and ultimately uh, set them to where a high enough price where I'm not really going to feel too bummed out if I go ahead and sell a couple shares and still get those covered call premiums, I'm going to try to do that. That is that's something that I'm really kind of leaning into right now. Uh, in order to make a couple dollars, uh, as well as also get the dividend. So if you're looking at your dividend uh, calculator, uh, like Marathon, I woke up uh, Saturday morning to a dividend from Marathon that uh, ultimately I still would have gotten even if I sold these shares because the ex-dividend date was prior to uh, when my shares were going to get paid out. So uh, that is another way to get the dividend capture, but ultimately still collect a premium. So when I'm looking at, uh, let's take a look here over at the dividends that I did go ahead and collect this weekend, I believe it was Chevron and MPC. I think that's what I got this weekend. But um, yeah, got Chevron, uh, about $87 that automatically reinvested. Marathon, $86 that automatically reinvested. So without even clicking a button this weekend, uh, I reinvested $170 uh, just in these two names. Uh, simply by re auto reinvesting, turning the drip on, which is the dividend reinvestment program, which ultimately just reinvests uh, into these shares at uh, at the current price based on the amount of dividend that you are getting paid from that company in a given uh, time period. So uh, that is certainly a way to keep that snowball effect rolling uh, a little bit higher is by turning that on, or you can simply take the the cash payment and reinvest it into another name. But uh, I try not to take any of these dividends at this point in my life and, uh, you know, withdraw them and spend them on, you know, food, groceries, anything else. This is pretty much just kind of set it and forget it. But uh, if you do not have the dividend reinvestment program turned on, you would get your dividends paid to you in a cash payment. So it would go to your cash account within your brokerage or within your uh, retirement account, whatever account that you've got. And then you can go ahead and reinvest those where you see fit. So if I didn't have these turned on, uh, you know, I would get the cash and that would be enough for about one share of Tesla right now, which I would be fine buying. You know, Kathy Wood is actually going ahead and buying more Tesla right now. Uh, I agree with that call. It might be a little bit too early for some, but um, now we are trading down to about 174 on Tesla. Um, so I think we're kind of getting back into that buy range. We've got a $47, a 47 times PE on that name. Where's analyst research just for... Uh, you know, just for fun here on Tesla, where are we looking? We've got um, about 22% of upside. I could see that about 211.93. That that makes sense to me. That is uh, not too high. And now, uh, because I do almost have 100 shares of Tesla, and now I'm a little bit under on my shares. But now if I go ahead 
and zoom out to say, I don't know, let's take a look at June 16th. Let's see what the, the covered call market is looking like on Tesla. So, you know, say I wanted to sell these at, uh, I don't know, say, say two, what do we got here? Let's take a look at the, the 270 calls, right? They're trading at uh, 217 on a market order. So I would get, uh, what is that? 2000? Am I, am I doing my math right? No. 200. Um, I'm doing my math wrong. Sorry. $217 to go ahead and sell these covered calls on Tesla to sell at a strike price of $270 in June. So if Tesla goes on a rally and goes up about $100, I would sell them. Uh, which I'd be fine with because I'd be making money on my shares, but I'm also collecting this premium of uh, $2.17 per share to go ahead and write this covered call today. So now the, another way to do this, and uh, I don't have the cash for this right now, but if you went ahead and did a buy write, which means you're buying the shares and you're also writing the covered call. Now, this would be, uh, you know, you'd be buying them at uh, 173.44 currently, so that would be seventeen thousand three hundred and forty-four dollars, and instantly write a covered call for say, say fifty bucks higher, right? If we were going to go to say two twenty-five, we would get a six dollar and sixty cent premium for writing this covered call today, uh, which would basically lower your purchase price, right, by six dollars and sixty cents. So it'd be somewhere around what, 166, call it. And you would have a predetermined sell price at 225. So you'd be making about $50 a share, plus you're already getting $660 in premium. So uh, basically you're, you're getting a lower entry point from your current price. So if you're, if you're looking to buy in larger blocks of stock and then you wanted say a 30%, uh, you know, gain on your shares, you could predetermine your, your sales price, get the premium for buying them. And then ultimately, uh, you know, if you want to be long these shares, you know, they wouldn't have to sell at 225. So the next time, if they don't get to 225, you could write another call, covered call in the future and keep collecting the premiums on these shares that you bought with the premium that lowered it in the first place. So it is kind of a, a win-win if you've got the money and you really want to hold these shares long-term. Uh, so I really hope that this has helped you guys really understand what's going on with SVB, how it's affecting other stocks and uh, other you know industries. And really, the, you know, the talk about the covered calls, I really hope that that is adding some value to you guys to understand maybe something new, another way to get into uh, some stocks that you had on your radar, but you really don't know whether it's a buy now or, you know, hold off, you know, collecting the premiums and, and really having a predetermined exit price can definitely help to ease that burden of getting into these different shares and then ultimately having a predetermined exit point with if you want that 30% or 40% or you've got a, a higher price target set on these names that uh, you can do something with them to ultimately uh you know really have a predetermined strategy as to your game plan for these names so that's what I've got for you guys and uh ultimately you know hopefully that added some real value to you as to what you can possibly do with your stock, uh, how you can possibly invest your money, and really some some different ways to look at the market. So with that being said, this was kind of a, a longer piece here, but I know there was a lot to cover. So um, I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. We're going to talk about the investing challenge. We're going to talk about uh, 
five different names that I'm really looking at right now uh, to really build out a portfolio and uh, some names that uh, I think could really do some some great uh, you know bit of good for you guys in your in your portfolio right now. So stick around. I'll be right back and we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about what's going on out there. All right, guys, we are back here. And uh, yeah, if you guys need help getting started in your investing, I do have links in the description to get you over to the group page for Let It Grow Investing. If you need to bounce some uh, questions off of uh, some different group members, feel free to do so. Uh, we've also got links uh, in the description for different uh, account types. If you're looking to start a trading account or a uh, brokerage, a retirement account, custodial accounts, we've got uh, different links to get you going. Uh, we've got E-Trade. Uh, where I do the majority of my investing and my options plays, and uh, also uh, my retirement accounts are over there as well. Now, in the way of crypto, crypto.com and Binance.us, and then also the Webull link where we are doing the investing challenge for 2023. And uh, yeah, we are doing $200 a week of my own money that we are uh, investing in the market every week to pretty much average in over the course of the year. To really, uh, you know, get a get a broad base of stocks, but also, uh, you know, just really focus on building up that uh, that capital that we have set aside in the market, and really look to build long term wealth. So we are doing all those things uh, over there on the group page, and also in the in the links in the description. So, uh, yeah, we've got that going on now. Uh, going forward, we are uh, looking at uh, week. 11 on the investing challenge right now. And uh, we had five different names up for grabs this week. And uh, first up, we had Salesforce. Now, Salesforce was a, uh, a strong contender uh, with Mark Benioff's uh, kind of speech and everything that he did to kind of inspire the fact that they've been through a recession before. Uh, a lot of the fears that were in the company after the co-CEO had left were really overblown. A lot of it was oversold. And uh, really, they were looking for a path forward. So um, that was number one. Ticker is CRM. We're sitting at uh, about 173.44, about uh, down 3% today on that one. And about 28.6% of upside for the next 12 months, according to 37 different analysts. Number two. Uh, now, this one is, uh, is going to be a crypto. We're looking at Bitcoin. Now, I was hoping that uh, after this uh, Silvergate problems all kind of got through the system, that Bitcoin would be lower, uh, you know, this coming uh, Monday, you know, as this uh, episode will be released. Now, it is actually looking like it is going to be significantly lower, which was part of my theory as to why I wanted to put this one in on week 11. So Bitcoin is number two, no price target. But uh, I think that it is, uh, you know, definitely come down into more of a buy territory. As I said before, I will continue to dollar cost average on the way down. That is my plan with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and uh, a couple other uh, key names that I'm looking to add to in this market. Now, number three is going to be Mercado Libre. Uh, ticker is M-E-L-I. If you are following along, this is a uh, kind of like the Amazon of South America, and uh, they are definitely um, a strong company, a really strong contender, and moving down, uh, you know, with the market today, about uh, two and a half percent lower, about thirty dollars down. Currently, they are sitting at eleven hundred and seventy-one, 
And uh, where's that analyst research for the rest of the year? Looks like we have about 30% of upside for a, uh, a price target of $1,527. Now, number four is going to be the ticker PFE. Now, that is Pfizer Pharmaceutical. So this one uh, is trading, you know, pretty pretty flat today, down only seven cents, which is uh, right pretty much in line with uh, you know, a lot of the other healthcare companies today. A lot of those are going to be uh, companies where uh, people are going to be finding some safety right now. The PE is sitting at a seven. The quarterly dividend is at a four point one six. Now it has moved up, so this one has dropped over the last five days since we've. Uh, been watching this one. It has come down from 41 and a quarter down to right around 39 to 40. So uh, that is number four. When we do have a, you know, that 4% dividend and uh, what's the upside? I think I just said it, but uh, yeah, 26% upside on this name, average price target of 49.60, according to 15 analysts. The last one, for week 11 is going to be C limited. The ticker is SE and that is going to be a uh, internet of a lot of different things company in Southeast Asia. And uh, they are down about five and a half percent today too. So you can tell from some of these different stocks that the NASDAQ is really, and all the tech companies are really taking it on the chin today. It is a rough one out there for the, the NASDAQ and the tech names as that uh, Silicon Valley Bank has been halted and ultimately looks like they are going to be uh, collapsing. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, we are going to be buying Pfizer, ticker PFE, for week 11. Now, I do like that name. It does give us a lot of safety with uh, everything that's going on in the market. It kind of insulates us from some of these other uh, high risk names with not really knowing what's going to happen with this black swan event that is the the Silicon Valley Bank. Now, I do like buying some of these other great companies at a discount, but uh, I also want to see some stability before we go ahead and buy. So now, when I'm looking at uh, you know Mercado Libre, C Limited for sure, they are going to be more in that growth area, and ultimately. Uh, not as, uh, they're, they're going to be more volatile. Let's say it like that. They're going to be more volatile to the swings of the market. They're going to probably need to do a little bit more borrowing. And, uh, you know, people are going to see them as risky. So maybe not as investable until this banking fiasco gets, uh, straightened out. So healthcare looks safer. Uh, Salesforce, where do we say they were today? How far down is Salesforce? They are about 3% down. So compare that to your 5.5% drop on C Limited and Mercado Libre being down about 2.64. So they're down a little bit less. So uh, for some reason, Salesforce is uh, getting beat up a little bit more than Mercado Libre. But uh, yeah, so Pfizer, very good ad for Monday. I think that is a good pick with the current situation uh this past week i would have said any of them would have been good buys but uh with you know light of new uh stories coming out pfizer is definitely going to be a good purchase for monday so thank you guys for voting on pfizer pfe so number uh week number 12 what do we got here well i was really trying to rack my brain as to what do i really want to buy right now and 
what do I think is going to, you know, well, one has already done some selling off or is already stabilized and does have some bright side ahead of it. Now, the first one isn't going to be one that was on my top five to buy right now. But um, the reason that this one is making the cut is because we added this one this time last year. That name is going to be Iron Mountain. So uh, ticker is IRM. It's going to be a REIT. They are uh, known for their, their paper uh, document uh, storage and also shredding. But um, it's going to be a REIT. They own a lot of the land that they operate on. So they have a dividend yield of about 4.68%, which is up there with a lot of the uh, the treasury bills, CDs, even some savings uh, rates right now are creeping up those intro offers around 5%. They're definitely out there if you're looking to uh, have your money tucked away safer and get some higher interest. Those are some good options. Now, Iron Mountain uh, is looking to get into more of the digital uh, document storage as well as databases. So that is kind of the future. A lot of people think that paper is going to be going away and they're more focused on the document storage, uh, either on databases, cloud, things like that. But they're going to be owning the the facilities and the land that uh, these the databases are going to be on. So uh, when I'm looking at uh, this one, there is not as much price appreciation right now. Uh, according to seven different analysts, we've only got about 4% of, uh, of upside here. When I look over on E-Trade, we've actually got a good bit more, about 16.9% of upside. So looking at Reuters, almost 4%. Looking at E-Trade, about 17%. So where are we trading versus... Um, where we've been in the past. Well, first off, annual revenue is creeping up about eight and a half percent for 23, 18% for 24. We've got uh, no dividend growth over the last year, it looks like. So that might have stayed flat. We've got uh, 22% premium on price to sales, 20% discount on trailing PE, 15% premium on forward PE. So it might not be a screaming buy, but it is going to get you into a real estate-based company that is going to pay you that starting dividend of about 4.6%. So that is definitely a nice starting place and uh, a way to get some income in if that is what you're looking for. Now, the, the second stock that I want to look at for this week is going to be Advanced Micro Devices, AMD. And uh, you know, some people would say, well, why not NVIDIA? Well, uh, NVIDIA's already run a good bit. The whole talk of uh, AI autonomous with NVIDIA, they, they've already shot up with uh, the chat GPT and this, that, the other. NVIDIA is already that that well-known player, and they've already had a massive run um, pretty much over the past, uh, let's say even since October. They were down at 108, currently sitting at 229. So that one's a little bit too too high, too quick for me. So AMD is going to be the one that I am going to be looking at this week. So uh, when we're looking at AMD, we've got uh, uh, you know a, a company that's going to be operating in a lot of the same spaces as NVIDIA. They are 53% computing and graphics, 44% enterprise embedded in semi-custom chips, and uh, they're carrying about 3% in cash. So they did uh, you know really outperform against Intel. They really kind of ate their lunch on a lot of that front, and they have really been outperforming 
uh, since. So now we're still getting a buy rating on AMD, five-year returns of about 600%. Uh, we've got, uh, what are the price targets here? We've got about 10% of upside, uh, according to 36 analysts. And uh, I think that this one really has uh, a good amount of room to go. I think that this one can get to $100. Uh, currently, we are sitting, what's the st current stock price here? We've got uh, at 82.30. So I think we've got a, a good amount of room to run here. We're kind of sitting in the middle of the trading range, more, uh, you know, sub middle. But um, I definitely think that this one has some room to run. And uh, we might have a longer buying window on this one, similar to like what I think we're going to have with oil and gas. I think we've got a little bit of time before these really go ahead and bottom out with all the problems in the NASDAQ. And then, like I said, by the end of summer, these things should really start taking off um, or at least be at that point where I think all the sellers are out and we're going to start buying these things back. So I might be a little bit early on this one, but I think it is a good time to start looking to build up a long-term position for all your uh, stocks that are going to be right in that forefront of robotics, AI, autonomous, and all the things that are going to make a lot of rich people in the next 10 to 15 years. So that is number two. That's going to be AMD. Now, number three is going to be one that we talked about on the last episode. And uh, this one is going to be United Health. Uh, we talked about this one, you know, when you were looking to cherry pick a portfolio that uh, United Health could get you there. Um, and, and I definitely like the healthcare stocks right now, especially with all the uncertainty out there. Uh, one thing that's going to be certain is people are going to need healthcare. So this one is trading at a 22 times multiple. We're getting about 1.4% on that dividend yield. Uh, according to Trefis, we've got about 30% of upside. According to uh, the average of the Reuters analysts, we've got about 27% of upside. So pretty close there. Uh, between the two of them. Now, where are we going from here? We've got uh, annual revenue creeping up in 23, about 11%, 24, about 19%. So definitely got an uptrend there in annual revenue, which is definitely nice to see. The other thing I really like here is that they increased the dividend uh, last year about 14% versus where it was previously sitting. So now that brings the dividend payout to 31%. So they still got a lot of cash that they can go ahead and raise this dividend and keep these dividend grows, uh, you know, kind of coming into our portfolio. So we're getting a raise a little bit here and there uh, off of these payments. So we're pretty much trading in line across the board on price to sales, uh, trailing and forward PE, uh, nothing above 7% off the normal. But uh, the uh, the peg ratio is sitting at a 1.4 is where, where it normally sits. But I still think you're getting a good value. And as this one comes down uh, today, we are currently down around uh, $5, about 1%. I definitely think that these stocks and the healthcare stocks should stand the test of time and also give us some growth in the way of that uh, increasing revenue and earnings per share. So I definitely think that uh, in my portfolio, I would not mind adding some more United Health. We are certainly getting close to the lows from last year set back in July. Uh, you know, that was around 450 and the highs being right around 558 uh, set on Halloween. So uh, we're, we're certainly closer to that low than than anywhere near the high right now. So for that reason and uh, where the healthcare sits in the industry right now, I think it could be a good purchase going forward. 
Uh, number four. Now, this one is another chip play. And that name is going to be Qualcomm. Now, Qualcomm, uh, I know that we've talked about this one uh, pretty pretty in depth before, but I do want to kind of refresh our memory here. Back in uh, 2019, Apple went ahead and said that they were going to start building their own chipsets. Well, that is very important because Qualcomm was building and is still building the chipsets that are in iPhones. Uh, so that definitely hurt Qualcomm in 2019. And then it uh, it slowed down uh, the same in 21-22 when uh, Apple went ahead and said that they were you know closer to building their own chipsets. So... Uh, Qualcomm went out and said that uh, you know the the amount of business that Apple's going to be doing by the end of 2024 is going to be mid single digits as far as uh, you know how big of a, a customer Apple is to Qualcomm. So I definitely think that uh, that has been cooked in. We uh, we did get the the iPhone 14 is still on Qualcomm chips, which we did not think. So that was kind of a bonus to Qualcomm, but they have really gone out and found a way to make their numbers work going forward. The revenues are still looking like they're going to be low double digits. Uh, so we're still getting an increase in revenue. They are not so reliant on Apple as everyone previously thought. There is still a lot of growth left for Qualcomm. They have a lot of uh, interest in the Internet of Things. They've got uh, you know all those chips that are going into you know making a, a toaster, a coffee pot, a this, that, the other, anything that's connected to the Internet that is you know, a lot of their business right now. And uh, yeah, mobile device chipsets are about 78%. Mobile device royalty is about 21.5%. But uh, they're also looking into a lot of the autonomous, the AI. They're in a lot of those right industries at the right time. They're not going to be so reliant on Apple anymore. So I think that's going to give them a lot of capacity to do things with other companies, but also make a lot of their own chipsets that are going into a lot of their own initiatives that they are looking to build out. So um, still, their their growth is still looking decent. Their prices are still looking cheap. They're at uh, 11.7 on a trailing PE and 12 on a forward basis. We're still got a buy rating. We've got uh, about 25% of upside based on 30 analysts. Uh, these revenues are coming down. And now I, I pointed that out earlier to say that we, we kind of know that um, from the Apple uh, problem. With Apple doing their own chipsets, a lot of the revenue from Apple is not going to be coming into Qualcomm. So they are going to be losing about 14% of revenue this year and only 2% of revenue next year. So uh, I do think that that has already been cooked in, right? We've already got a 32% discount in price to sales, 55% discount in trailing PE, and a and a 27% discount in... Uh, the Ford PE. Sorry, every, my both of my computer screens went black at the same time. I thought they uh, they both went off. But um, so yeah, we've definitely got some discounts there. We've got uh, the peg ratio trading below the five year average. So there's a lot of different things here that I'm thinking. We've got some uh, some bright skies ahead of us now that a lot of this Apple news has been cooked in. We've already seen this one sell off. We still have growth. We've still got revenue. Uh, to, you know, the gains going to be coming in the next five years are still going to be solid. Uh, in the next two years, yes, you know, the, the revenue for 23 is going to be down. But um, overall, we still have growth that is going to be coming in the, the new 
initiatives of their business that they're looking to get into. So that is number, that's number four. So now going forward, the other one that I thought, you know, still might be worth looking at is going to be Visa. Ticker is V. And uh, I think it really doesn't go without uh, too much saying that Visa is tends to be in the right place at the right time. You know, right now with the, the U.S. savings, uh, household savings rate dropping, you know, remarkably low and things are getting more and more expensive every time we go to the store. It's just, just you know, it seems like it's 10% more than the last visit. I think more people are going to be swiping these cards. More people are going to be using credit. Uh, and ultimately, Visa is going to be there to provide that that credit, but also get that uh, interest off of the spending that is going on out there. So I still think that uh, through a recession, Visa is going to do well. And then in, uh, you know, once we're back to a booming cycle, I still think that Visa is going to do well there too. It just seems like one of those things that people can't get away from. And ultimately, they are there to uh, to make money through all different economic cycles. So we've got about 17.5% of upside here on Visa. We've got uh, earnings per share ticking up modestly over the next two years. We've got uh, 10% growth in revenue for 23 and 22% growth for 24. We are looking at a dividend grower as well. They increased their dividend 18% last year. Their dividend payout still low. It's only 23%. They can cover this dividend 8.3 times. So they got plenty of cash. They have uh, are able to grow this dividend. They are still looking to grow revenues and uh, you know main, maintain that, uh, that growth company that they are really are and uh, really be a leader in the fintech space. So price to sales is a 13% discount. Trailing PE is a 14% discount to the five-year. And forward PE is a 16% discount to the five-year. Uh, that forward peg ratio is trading at a 1.7. That is lower than their five-year average of a two. So for a lot of reasons, I think Visa is a strong player going forward. So those are the five names that I got for you guys this week. Uh, Iron Mountain, ticker is IRM. Advanced Micro Devices, AMD. United Healthcare, UNH. Qualcomm, uh, QCOM, and Visa, which is the letter V. So get over there to Let It Go Invest and get your votes in. And, uh, you know, definitely take your time and think about which company is going to survive uh, this year and really give us some growth going forward. So uh, that's what I got for you guys today. Hopefully we can uh, ultimately see what's going to happen in this banking front. We can survive any of these uh, these problems and these black swan events together. But uh, I hope this really gave you guys a, a perspective as to what's going on out there, why the market is selling off today, and uh, ultimately why uh, banking doesn't seem to be the safest bet on the street right now. I know we've talked about that quite a few times that it is, but uh, right now it is it's not looking to hold that same uh, candle to to the wind right now, if you will. But uh, with that being said, I will catch you guys in the next one. I hope this has uh, brought you a, a great amount of value, and I look forward to seeing you guys at uh, the next episode. We should have a fun one for you then as well. So take care, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for stopping by here on Let It Grow Investing. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share to build a community of like-minded investors. 
If you do have questions for me or for the group, you can find us over there on Let It Grow Investing Podcast on Facebook. This is not professional financial advice. I am not a professional financial advisor. Please make sure to do all your own research before investing in any security. I do have links in the description to help get you started on E-Trade, Webull, Crypto.com, and Binance. And a friendly reminder that a goal without a plan is just a dream. So go ahead and build your plan, uh, design your portfolio, and stick to it. Thanks for stopping by. I will catch you guys in the next one.